Hello there, welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're talking about Invicta FC 48 coming up this Wednesday, the 20th of July with 9 p.m. Eastern start time. Some midweek women's MMA for you. It's going to be held in Denver, Colorado. Six total bouts on the card. The main event's going to be Tanisha Tennant versus Olga Rubin. This will be a championship bout for the Bantamweight Championship, which Tennant currently holds. And that belt was vacated by Julia Storlianko, who's currently in the UFC and just had a win recently. I do like a few spots in this card enough to say that I might want to parlay them with Bellator or UFC for this weekend. With all that said, guys, let's jump into it the first fight in the card. The card opens up with a bantamweight bout between Autumn Norton from Reno, Nevada and Maria Dojovic from British Columbia, Canada. Dojovic goes by Sweet Maria. She's 2-0, not much experience. A big underdog here at plus 200 versus Autumn Norton who goes with the natural and Norton is only 1-1 herself so not much experience either. Norton is 28 years old. She's 5'5 five five in height with a 67 and a half inch reach and she trains out of Iron Pit Fight Team. As for Maria, she's 5'7 five five in height with a 66 inch reach and she trains out of Doshido MMA. So height and reach wise very similar to be a 2 inch height advantage for Maria and about a 1 inch reach advantage for Autumn Norton. Now looking at the public votes on Tapology, it appears that Dujovic is the big favorite, getting 86% of the votes, only 14% coming from Norton. If you watch film on both fighters, it's not like either fighter blows you away. Maria Dujovic is probably the better overall fighter, but by the most narrowest of margins. Now looking at Autumn Norton first, she had a 6-2 amateur record. Notably, she had a win as an amateur over Amber Liebrock, who's also fighting on this card. She went pro in 2019. And though she only has two pro fights, both those pro fights were in Invicta where she's 1-1. One one. Her last fight was against Cheyenne Rincon, where she won by decision. That was three years ago, 2019. Rincon is 2-1 overall and has not fought a fight since 2019. Her prior opponent, Aaron Harp, 2019 split decision loss. Harp is 2-0 but has not fought a fight in over three years. And that makes up her two opponents so far in her mixed martial arts career. As you can see, there's not much to go off of. Now, what's to like about Norton? This will be her third fight in Victor. She has a Victor experience. And even though she's the shorter fight in this matchup, she will have the reach advantage. She works well in the clinch. She likes a dirty box. If she can keep the fight within close distance, that's where she does most of her damage. Now, my concern for her, the biggest one is she's coming off of a three-year layoff. That's why, again, I don't get her being such a big favorite. It's a big layoff. We don't know what she's been doing that entire three years. Has she been training, injuries? Did she decide to quit? Very limited head movement. She comes straight forward. She's aggressive, yes, but her head is not a moving target. It's very stationary. She's very open for counter punches and counter strikes in general. Now as for Maria, she was 1-0-1 as an amateur. She went pro 2021. Her last fight was against Clara Ricknusio 2022 or this year where she won by split decision. Clara is 3-3 overall, a 500 level fighter. Her prior opponent, Joe Mason Nuevo. I know I'm probably mispronouncing that name. I apologize. That was last year, 2021. She won the fight by decision. And that was her pro debut. And watching both fights, I can't tell you anything that Maria does very well. There's nothing about her that strikes me as much better than Autumn Norton. Now, I do like the fact that she's fighting more recently. That's definitely a big plus. Now, what's my concerns for her? She's fought very low level competition. I don't know what to derive from this. I mean, I think she has the advantage here. She's been fighting more recently, but the reality is, could Autumn Norton have been making big advances? If you want to just take a stab in this card as a dogger pass, this might be it. I don't see a big difference between these two fighters. The big layoff for Autumn Norton, that's a huge concern. The fact that she's lined up as a big favorite here even shocks me more. I mean, imagine this, putting up $275 to win 100 bucks on a female fighter fighting in the first fight on a prelim-like basically level for Invicta hasn't fought in three years. That's crazy talk. I think if you want to just bet this as a dog or pass or just pass altogether, I think Maria is a live dog at plus 200. I'll probably take a small stab in her, but I'm definitely not going to bet Autumn Norton. I mean, almost a three to one favorite. This is crazy. So please be careful this one. I imagine the casual fan will throw Autumn Norton into a parlay thinking, oh, it's safe. It's almost minus three to one. This is not a safe spot. I would stay away from this fight, guys. That's your breakdown. Good luck with this fight. Moving up the card to the second fight. It's going to be a featherweight battle at 145 pounds between Amanda Lee Brock, who hails from Hayward, California, versus another American, Morgan Fryer, who's also from California. Morgan Fryer goes by Mad Dog, 4-3 overall. 
She comes in here as a big dog at plus 200. She's 31 years old, 5'8", with a 72-inch reach, and she trains out of Houdini Grips Jiu-Jitsu. As for Amber Lebrock, she goes by Touch Em Up, like, you know, Touch Em Up. She's 5-4 and four overall, a big favorite here at minus 275. She hails out of Haywood, California, as we mentioned before, 34 years old, 6' height, about 3 inches taller than her opponent, with a 71-inch reach. So Lebrock will have about a 3-4-inch to four inch height advantage, but we're giving up 1 inch in the reach department to Morgan Fryer. As for the public votes here on Tapology, Lebrock is a huge favorite, getting 85% of the votes, only 15% coming in for Fryer. I get it. I like Lebrock to win as well, but, you know, Fryer's got some experience. She's fought some good fighters. I mean, I can make an argument for why she maybe can win here as a dog, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I like Lebrock to win the fight. I think that the big layoff for Fryer is also a big question mark. I don't like that. And I also think that Lee Brock recently has shown some advancements in her game. She's made some improvements. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, Lee Brock went 3-1 as an amateur. She made her pro debut in 2015 in Invicta. She began her career 3-1 in Invicta, then moved on to Bellator, where she had a handful of fights. Unfortunately, went 0-3 in Bellator, then fought in Gladiator Challenge, and now she's coming back to Invicta for her second tour. Her last bout was late last year, December, versus Devin Holmes. A round one KO win for her in 20 seconds. Her prior fight, 2020, about two years ago, she got a round one KO win against Megan Mary. Again, early finish, 35 seconds. So she comes into this fight off of back-to-back -back wins, early round KOs. Very impressive. Both of those fights were held in Gladiator Challenge. Now, going back to 2018 when she fought in Bellator, she lost round three via TKO against Arlene Blenkow. Now, if you know Blenkow, she's been a staple in Bellator for a while now, about 10 total fights in Bellator. She loses the fight in round three while chasing an arm bar or arm kind of like submission. She gets picked up and slammed, and it's a quick ref stoppage. I mean, it was very fast. Up until that point, she had her moments. I mean, she even stuns Arlene Blenkow, and if you know Blenkow, very tough fighter, very durable, can take a lot of punishment. So it wasn't the worst fight for her. Yes, she gets a loss there, but looking back at that fight, and the links down below if you want to watch that fight, it showed a lot of the things in her game that she can do well. Now, as a long fighter, she tends to be the taller, longer fighter. She can get sloppy at times, and in that fight, you saw Arlene Blenkow take advantage of that. And then going way back to 2014, her amateur days, she got a round one 25-second knockout over Pam Sorensen. And it was like a legit knockout where Pam Sorensen's legs go completely weak and buckles and she falls to the ground. Pam Sorensen is 9-5 as a professional and she's in Bellator, has been in Bellator for a while. Another win, I know going way back, we're talking about almost eight years, but a quality win and shows you the hands of Lee Brock. And then when she gets her hands going, she could hurt her opponent. Now, what's the like about Amber Lee Brock? Number one, she has back-to-back -back wins by KO in round one. So clearly she has some finishing ability. And of her five pro wins, four of those have been my finish. She's a very long fighter and works well behind her jab. On the feet at range is where she does most of her damage. She tends to be the taller fighter, but she gives up reach. So in this matchup, for example, she'll have about three to four inches in height advantage, but for the reach, she'll give up one inch. Now, what are my concerns for Amber Lebrock? Number one, I'm not sure about her durability. She's been finished in all four of her pro losses, one by submission and three times by TKO. And in the only loss she suffered as an amateur, she was also finished in that fight. As she fatigues in the fight, the long frame that she has, the taller, longer fighter, you can imagine how that gets very clumsy, leaves herself open to counter strikes, or if it's a good grappler, can leave herself open to submission opportunities. Now, as for Morgan Fryer, no amateur record. She's a former military veteran. Usually during the introductions or promos, you hear that she's like a former military army person. Very cool. Shout out to all the people who did service for our country. She fought in PFL prior to Invicta, and this fight will mark her Invicta debut. Now, she hasn't fought in a while. Her last fight was three years ago. She fought Kayla Harrison, round one submission loss in the PFL. She threw two strikes in that fight. She landed zero. Her stats were literally zero landed, two thrown. That's it. Submission loss. Bottom line, not a good fight for her. Her prior opponent, Sarah Kaufman, also 2019, round one triangle choke loss, also in the PFL. Now, Kaufman is a former UFC veteran. It's a quality opponent. You could chalk it up as another loss. But the fact that it is back-to-back -back 
round one submission losses clearly tells you that her submission defense, her ground defense, her grappling, not very good. Now, I go back to 2019 for a reason. Those were the last two times that she fought about three years ago. It's been a big layoff for her. Now, what's to like about Morgan Fryer, the way she fights? High finish rate, has finishes in all four of her pro fights, three of those by TKO and one by submission. She has fighter experience against top-level fighters, people like Kayla Harrison and Sarah Kaufman, which that cannot be overlooked. She's been in there and shared the time in the cage with some high-level fighters. Now, what are my concerns? The obvious one, she has not fought in three years. She hasn't had her hand raised in a fight where she's won in four years. She also hasn't been very durable in her last few fights. In her last two fights, she's lost in round one by submission. Which leads to my last point, her submission defense, her ground defense, her grappling defense, BJJ skills, however you want to put it, it's not very good. And that's why she lost in round one of her last two fights. The fights we watched right in this film, we watched Lee Brock versus Blend Cow, 2018, Lee Brock versus Sorensen, way back 2014, Fryer versus Harrison from 2019, and Fryer versus Kaufman, also from 2019. If you don't watch any one of those four fights as part of our free video library, just look down below here on YouTube. In the description, you'll see those four links available. My final few thoughts on this fight, I think Lee Brock has the experience advantage. Only nine total fights compared to seven for Morgan Fryer, but the fact that she's been fighting the last few years, whereas Morgan Fryer has been on a three-year layoff, I'm going to give her the advantage in the experience department because she's been more active. As for cardio, same thing. Lee Brock's been in there more recently. She's been fighting in the cage. She's been acclimated. She's been training, going through training camps. She's fought multiple fights during this long layoff for Fryer. For Fryer, could she come in here and have a little octagon rust? Could she be a little bit depleted in round two, round three? Could her emotions get the best of her? A lot of questions. So when it comes to cardio, I know where Lee Brock stands. I don't know where Fryer stands. For finishing ability, both of them have displayed finishing ability. I have questions about it. And of course, it's about the quality of the opponent. But I'm going to give it an equal grade in that department. They've both displayed the ability to finish their opponent. When it comes to durability, both have also showed issues in that department. I would not be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, if this fight is not going to full distance because both of them have showed issues with getting finished and both of them have finishing ability. And last but not least, the grappling. Neither fighter is very good at grappling. And for Amber Lebrock, she has to be very careful again. As she gets tired, she makes mistakes, position mistakes. She needs to get the fight in the feet and at range to guarantee her a path to victory. So in conclusion, guys, I like Amber Liebrock. At minus 275, I don't like her as a straight-up play, but I do like her as a parlay piece. I'm going to mention the parlay to the end of the show. That's our breakdown, guys. Good luck with this one. Moving up the car, we've got strawweight bout at 115 pounds between the American fighter Melissa Odessa Parker versus Isis Verbeck from Netherlands. Verbeck goes by Fight Queen. She's 3-1 overall. Not much experience. 27 years old. 5'4", 165 inch reach, and she trains out of Team Biggie Boy. It's a very good gym. I believe that's where Derek Lewis trains out of, so it's a good gym. UFC level fighters. As for Parker, she goes by Bella Bastilla. She's 3-1 overall, so also not much experience. She's the slight favorite here, though, at minus 175. You got Verbeck on the inside of plus 130. Parker's out of Spring, Texas, 35 years old. 5'4", height, so same height for both fighters with a 63-inch reach, about a 2-inch reach advantage there for Verbeck. And for Parker, she trains out of War Training Center. As for the numbers coming out of Tapology, Parker is the public vote favorite, getting 58% of the votes, where Verbeck's getting 42% of the votes. I like Verbeck. I like her on plus money. I think it's a very close fight. You can split it down the middle. And I think some of the people that are on Parker might be on her for the wrong reasons. There's some things about both these fighters that can be a little bit of a distraction. For example, Parker's more of a boxer and she's very active. Like she fights all the time. She has multiple fights per year in boxing and in mixed martial arts, which you like, but then there's some question marks about who she's fighting, the quality of competition, which we'll get to more. But I do like Verbeck here at plus 130. I like her even more. I'm probably going to better straight up for about a quarter unit. 
half unit. I'm not going to parlayer. I don't feel that confident, but I do like Verbeek in this spot to win. As for the background of these two fighters, for Melissa Odessa Parker, she had a one-on-one -on -one amateur career with her one amateur loss against Mallory Martin. Mallory Martin is currently in the UFC. Not a terrible loss as an amateur. She went pro 2020. Her first pro bout was in boxing. Her last fight, actually, which was just about a month ago, was also a boxing match. She fought in Fury FC and LFA prior to Invicta. This fight will mark her first Invicta fight. This will be a Invicta debut. Her last MMA bout was against Celine Haga. Celine Haga is 13 and 18 overall an Asian fighter and the record speaks for itself the fight was fairly close until Parker starts landing the bombs on the feet starts banging up Selene Haga's face it gets stopped in round three rear naked choke a good overall fight on paper for Parker but I'm telling you go back and watch the fight it gets ugly it gets close especially round one round two you see Parker's not very good on the ground bottom line on the ground she's a fish out of water and in that fight it was way too close for too long against a fighter who's 13 and 18 her prior mixed martial arts fight was against Itzel Esquivel. She won that fight. That was a four and three opponent. And then her prior mixed martial arts fight before that was against Kendall Hollowell with a two and two record. So as you can see, her last three opponents, 13 and 18, four and three, two and two. She's fighting very often, yes, but the quality of her opponents in mixed martial arts have been very low level. This matchup against Verbeck will be by far her toughest mixed martial arts opponent to date. Now, what's it like about Parker? She is a very active fighter. She's fought already twice this year. She fought one boxing match and one mixed martial arts match. Last year, she fought five times, twice in the boxing ring, three times in the cage. And then in 2020, she fought three boxing matches. So over the last two years, she's fought 10 times already. This will be her 11th fight coming up. And at her age of 37, it's very impressive. She's got very good striking skills. Obviously, her foundation's in boxing. So her hands are very good, good combinations. And if you watch the fight against Celine Haga, towards the end of the fight, that's how she ends up piecing her up and knocking her down before she gets the rear naked choke. So her hands are very good. She's also on a five-fight winning streak. Now, my concerns for her. She fights so often, how could she be making improvements? And she's also fighting boxing, back to MMA, back to boxing. Like her last bout was last month in boxing. She didn't have a full camp. She couldn't have because she just had a boxing match last month. So I'm not sure if I like that or don't like that. And then she also has fought very, very low-level fighters. We talked about it. She's not been challenged at all. The fighters she's facing are very, like, hand-picked mixed martial arts fighters that are below 500. So she hasn't faced much competition. Now, as for Isis Verbeck, she's from Netherlands. No amateur record. She went pro 2014. She's fought in Combate, Icon, and Gamebred. Gamebred meaning the bare knuckles promotion that's run by Jorge Masvidal. Her last fight was against Monica Medina, and that was in Gamebred promotion. That was last year. She won by round two TKO, a very nasty knee in the clinch. What you see in that fight is number one, she could get punch, obviously, bare knuckle. Pretty good footwork, moves well around the outside, very athletic, nasty strikes in the clinch. Now, what's the like about Isis Verbeck? She has good striking skills and very effective in the clinch. If we get to like a clinch situation with her and Parker against the fence, I believe her dirty boxing skills will be better. Her knees, her elbows, that's where she excels. If it gets to the ground, I'll be very surprised. Both fighters do their best work on the feet. And she too, like her opponent's on a winning streak. She's on a four fight winning streak, looking to make it five in a row. And she's got some finishing ability. Two of her last four wins, which are four fights in a row, she's got a finish. So she does have some finishing ability, both by TKO and by submission. Now, my concerns for Verbeck, similar to Parker, the competition level has not been great. It's simply been very low-level opponents. Now, I think she's better in some ways here than Parker, but we haven't really seen that. It's not displayed on film. If you watch her prior fights, she's fighting very low-level fighters. And against low-level fighters, she looks pretty good. It's kind of hard to gauge where she's at. And she doesn't have a ground game. If either fighter made improvements in their ground attack and can come in here and have a ground game, that fighter would easily win. But that's not really their fighting style. Parker's a stand-up striker, a boxer. And as for Verbeck, her best attribute is striking in the clinch on the feet. But the point is, the ground game is not part of her arsenal. The fights we watched around this film, we watched Verbeck versus Medina from last year and Parker versus Haga from earlier this year. If you want to watch those two fights, they're down below in the description here on YouTube. You can watch those as part of our free video library.
My final few thoughts on this fight. I like Isis Verbeek at plus 130. I'm going to take a sprinkle on her as a straight-up bet. Not going to parlay it. I don't have that kind of confidence. Experience-wise, very similar. We've got four fights for each fighter. Haven't really fought tough competition. Cardio seems to be okay. Finishing ability... I mean, you could argue that Isis Verbeek's a better finisher because she had two finishers the last four fights, but, man, the quality of competition's low. So when it comes to finishing ability, about the same. Durability, also about the same. When it comes to grappling, now here's where I think Isis Verbeek has the edge. She's a mixed martial arts fighter. That's what she does. She's not a boxer. When you look at Melissa Parker, for example, the last fight when she fought against um, her last fight, can't remember the name, but the point is in that fight, she dominates on the feet over the Asian fighter. I mean, she knocks her down at some point, gets on top of her, gets a rear naked choke. It looks good on paper. But early in the fight on the ground, she was so out of sorts. I mean, she could have gotten submitted easily by a better fighter who knew what they were, knew what they were doing. Excuse me. For Isis Verbeck, she's got some ground skills. Not a lot of skills, but she's got some of them. If she comes in here with a good game plan to attack Parker, get it in close, make it a clinch Muay Thai type of fight, bring her to the ground, get some judo throws going. She has a clear path to victory. As for Melissa Parker, if the fight's on the feet at distance and she lands her, her jab combinations and gets her boxing going, she can win the fight. At plus 130, I'm taking Verb back. That's your breakdown, guys. Good luck with this fight. All right, moving up the car, we've got a flyweight bout at 125 pounds between Liana Parisian from Brazil and Christina Williams from the United States. Williams is 5-3 overall. She goes by Warhorse, 3-2 in her last five fights. She's minus 150 in the main line. Both of them are sitting around minus 150 to minus 100. It's a pick em. She hails out of Edmond, Oklahoma, 32 years old in 10 months, so about to be 33. 5'8", 167.5 inch reach. And she trains out of Killer Beast Performance Center and the Forge MMA. As for Liana Parisian, who goes by Lee, we did an interview with her a few months ago after her recent win in Invicta FC 47. Wonderful young lady. I would encourage you to look the interview up. It's on our channel. In any case, Liana Parisian, who goes by Lee, she's 8-4 and four overall, 2-3 in her last five fights. Her last fight just about 2-3 months ago, she was coming off of a two-year layoff and did a great job. Didn't show much ring octagon rust and obviously she's coming around here with a quick turnaround to fight uh, just about two months later. She's out of Cuta Libre, Brazil. She's currently minus 110 on the money line, 29 years old, 5-5 five five in height, about 3 just shorter than Christina Williams, and a 64-inch reach, about a 3.5-inch reach advantage there for Williams. So height and reach-wise, when it comes on the feet striking, which is where most of the match will probably occur, Williams will have a significant reach advantage and height advantage. And as for Parisian, she trains out of Yamauchi team. Now, as for the public votes on Tapology, it's about down the middle. Williams getting 43% and Parisian's getting 57%. I'm actually going to lean on the side of Williams. I know you can't believe it. Even though I like Parisian to win, um, I want her to win. I'll be rooting for her to win. It's just that Williams has a slight advantage in a few areas that matter, as we'll discuss when we go over their breakdowns. So I'm going to pick Williams to win the fight. I don't feel confident about picking her to win. I probably will not bet in this fight at all because I don't have it as a parlay piece. And as a straight-up bet, I don't have a positive lead either way. But I'm going to pick Williams to win the fight very closely, maybe by a split decision. Now, just some background information on these two fighters. Christina Williams is from Oklahoma, as we mentioned before. She had a 3-0 amateur record. She went pro in 2017. She fought in Bellator prior to Invicta. And here's where the experience is a factor for me. She went 3-3 three three in Bellator. Six total matches in Bellator with three wins. And looking back on her topology, look back to 2018. She had a split decision win over Emily Ducote. Now, who's Ducote? You might remember that name. She just fought last weekend for UFC Long Island. She had a nice win over Jessica Penny where she pieced her up for three rounds. Almost got a finish because she did so much damage to Jessica Penny's front leg. That win right now is aging very well. Granted, it's a split decision win, but still a split decision win over Emily Ducote back in, what, three, four years ago. That's a nice win for Christina Williams. Her most recent opponent was Flora Hane, where she won that fight as a plus 120 underdog. And that was, again, earlier this year. What she shows in that fight is the good strike. Good from range. Use her length. She's very tall. 
on the ground, not so much. Can't get back up. Gets taken down pretty easily. The problem for Flora Honey in that fight, she couldn't get enough takedowns. She couldn't get in close. And for Williams, in her defense, did a good job of keeping the fight at distance. At distance, she has an advantage over most of her opponents. Longer arms, good striking, good combinations. She picks up a very nice win there as a plus 120 underdog. In the prior fight we mentioned before, Emily Ducote, split decision win 2018. And Ducote right now is currently on the UFC roster. Now, what's the like about Christina Williams? Number one, the strength of schedule. Has fought good quality opponents, people that are currently in the UFC. You do like that. She also could take a punch. In her last fight against Flora Honey, she took some hard punches and took them very well. Displayed a pretty good chin. Now, looking back at Tapology, you'll see that she's been finished a few times, once by submission, I believe, and once by TKO. But overall, has been in there with some pretty good fighters against six fights in Bellator and has shown some pretty good durability. She definitely does most of her damage on the feet and will look to keep the fight on the feet for as long as possible. And she's coming to this fight on a two-fight winning streak, looking to make it three in a row. Now, what are my concerns for her? I mentioned durability. She has been finished twice in her very short career, so you still wonder if she gets to a bad submission position, if she gets TKO'd, would you be surprised? I mean, she has been finished twice before. And her ground game overall is just very limited. She's easy to take down. If you take her down, she can't get back up. She has to be careful she doesn't fall down in this fight somehow and land up with her opponent on top of her. But when we talk about Leanna Parisian in a second, you'll notice as well, she has that in common. Now, speaking of Leanna Parisian, the Brazilian fighter, no amateur record. She went in pro 2013, so been a pro for about nine years. She's fought in Immortal FC, XFC, and this will be her second fight in Invicta. Her last fight was earlier this year. She won by split decision. That's always important to note. Split decision means that one of the judges thought you lost, okay? Just a reminder. She beat Miranda as a minus-125 favorite, fighting off of a two-year layoff, so that part was nice. She got in there, didn't look too rusty. On the feet, had the better exchanges, had the harder punches, had the more notable punches. Going into round three, it was very close. And in round three, she gets taken down, and never gets back up, spends a lot of time on her back. And to me, that signals two things. One, she can't get back up, has poor stand-up offense, has a problem on the ground, weak grappling skills, weak stand-up skills. Number two, in a close fight when it matters, she didn't have the fighter IQ to say, you know what? I don't care if I get choked out. I don't care if I turn my back. I don't care if I exhaust myself. I have to get up. So she barely won that fight, but a lot of question marks were left there. And on the feet, looked pretty good. Had a nice jab against another good striker, though, in Christina Williams. Will it look that good? Will she have that advantage? I'm not so sure. But just like her opponent here, not very good on the ground and can't stand back up. Her prior opponent still, some names you'll recognize. She fought Kay Hansen two years ago in Invicta before Kay Hansen went from Invicta to the UFC. Now, of course, everyone knows Kay Hansen recently got cut by the UFC. But in that fight, she lost by decision. And it's a quality loss from the standpoint that Kay Hansen moves on to the UFC, was a UFC fighter, and was okay in the UFC before she got cut. So that's back 2020. That was her last fight before her last fight, if it makes any sense, about a two-year layoff. She also fought Kanako Murata, a round one rear naked choke loss. That was about three years ago, 2019. It's notable because Murata is 12-2 overall and currently 1-1 in the UFC. So looking back at the tapology for Liana Parisian, you like the fact that she's been in there with some UFC-level fighters. And for Williams, she's been in there with some Bellator-level fighters. So both fighters have some quality names in their tapology. Now, what's to like about Liana Parisian? Number one, the experience, right? Against UFC-level fighters. She's held her own. Got a decision against fighters, for example, like Kay Hansen. She's got very good footwork. Knows how to come in and out of range. It looks good early on. I just noticed that it starts to slow down as the fight goes on. And I wonder in the last fight, when she got taken down in round three, was it that she couldn't stand up because of her skill level? Or maybe because she was fatigued? Because again, earning the fight, she's letting the feet comes in out of range as more and more time goes on that sort of slows down she's a very balanced fighter has a nice one-two combination she has decent judo throws every now and then you'll see her use it i do believe that this fight can come down to who gets taken down now neither fighter is an amazing grappler or ground attack offense neither one of them has that but could someone try a kick and fall down 
the other person falls on top, or could someone try to take down and get reversed? The reason I say it because whoever ends up in the bottom will probably spend a lot of time in the bottom and then lose that particular round. If it's round three to close fight, it could decide the entire fight. So when it comes to her judo throws, I would encourage her to try a judo throw. I mean, heck, I would encourage both fighters to try to get at least one takedown because they're so bad, both of them are getting back up. Now, when I watched the fight with Parisian versus Kay Hansen, going back to her tapology, she had a very hard lower leg kick in round one that buckled Kay Hansen. Kay Hansen ends up getting a takedown, and then, of course, from there, Parisian's not good at ground attack. She gets taken advantage of, and she loses the fight predominantly because of getting taken down and can't get back up. But it was something I noticed. She has a good hard lower leg kick, just doesn't use it enough for my liking. Now, what's my concerns for Parisian? Well, number one, she just fought the other day. Now, she didn't take damage. It was the full distance, but she didn't take a lot of damage. The issue is, did you make improvements? What improvements did you make? Did you go back to the drawing board and get better at takedown defense? Did you work on your grappling? Did you improve your cardio? So a lot of questions about, did you make improvements? Are you taking this fight too soon? On the flip side, you could say, well, it's high activity. It's good to get back in there quicker. It's good to stay sharper. She was already in shape. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Something about this, to me, does not smell great. I like that she's fighting again this year. But, man, it is a quick turnaround. Could she have gotten a full camp in? I don't know. And, of course, we mentioned before, it's a takedown defense and the stand-up offense. Both of these fighters have shown in recent fights that if you take them down, they cannot stand back up. I want to make sure I emphasize this. This fight can come down to something very lucky, just random, like slipping on a band and appeal type of thing, where both fighters are doing well on the feet, and then some part of a round or two, or maybe late in the fight, one of them just makes a silly decision, slips, maybe there's some water in the octagon, because once either one of these fighters is down and on their back, they cannot get back up. The fights we watched in this film, we watched Parisian versus Mirandian earlier this year. We watched Parisian versus Kay Hansen from two years ago. And we watched Williams versus Hani from earlier this year. Those three fights are available. If you look down below here on YouTube, in our description, you'll see those three links. My final few thoughts on these two fighters. When it comes to experience, about the same. They've both fought high-caliber athletes. Christina Williams has been in Bellator for six fights. Leanna Parisian's fought some UFC-level caliber fighters. So when it comes to experience, very similar. As for cardio, again, very similar. Haven't seen either fighter here show weaknesses in their cardio or fatigue very quickly. As for finishing ability, again, very similar. But this is a very lower weight class division. So you have to imagine there's not many finishes for a female fight at like 115 pounds. When it comes to durability, also, they both check out pretty durable. And lastly, the grappling category. They're both not good at it. So bottom line, when you compare them like category by category, experience and cardio, finishing ability, durability, grappling, they're about the same grade. And so that's why I said earlier, the money line here is correct. You got Williams at minus 150, Parisian at minus 110. This fight will probably come down to some random moment, some lucky moment where someone falls down. Now you love the live scoring is in effect. So we'll see the score after round one, round two. We'll know where we stand. I'm not going to be surprised at all if the judges are split. So from a betting perspective, bet with a lot of caution. At minus 110, minus 150 respectively, a lot of value, but to me, it's a crapshoot. We're going to edge Christine Williams ever so slightly. That's our breakdown, boys and girls. Good luck with this fight. And we're up to the co-main event for Invicta FC 48. It's going to feature another bantamweight bout at 135 pounds between Talita Bernardo, who also goes by Talita de Oliveira Bernardo. So if you're seeing her on some of the websites as de Oliveira, that's also Bernardo. She's going up against Yana Gardelha. Both of these are Brazilian fighters. Gardelha goes by Nana. She's 7-4 overall. 3-2 in her last five fights. Before I keep going, forgive me if you hear noises in the background. Both of my dogs are running around. They came upstairs. My black German Shepherd, his name is Ace. Uh, we taught him how to open up doors, doors that have the little handle that you can pull down. And now I fully regret doing this because now he can open doors all throughout the house. And so he was downstairs a minute ago. Now I hear him up here and he's trekking around. So if you hear some doggy noise in the background, some squeaking, I apologize. It's my dogs running around with their doggy toys. Anyway, back to this breakdown. Scott Dalla goes by Nana. She's 7-4 overall. 3-2 in her last five fights. 
A dog here at plus 200-ish, plus 225, depending upon your book. She's 26 years old, 5'6 and high, but 65 inch reach, and she trains out of MPB. JJ. As for Talita, she's 7 and 4 overall, 2 and 3 in her last 5 fights, a minus 250 favorite, 35 years old, 5 foot 4 in height, so 2 inches shorter than Yana, with a 68 inch reach, so 3 inches more length for her arms, but yet she's shorter. It's always interesting how you see that. You'll see fighters that are actually shorter, but their arms are longer, and she's out of IF team. As for Tapology, the numbers coming in on the side of Bernardo, 86%, 14% coming in for Godella. I do agree. Matter of fact, I like the co-main event and the main event as a possible parlay, just putting them together because they're both sitting around minus 250, minus 300, kind of getting a little bit chalky, but Bernardo, Bernardo, excuse me, should win the fight. She has the better Tapology pedigree, has fought the better opponents, um, has the tools to win this bout. We'll talk more about that throughout the breakdown, but I do agree. Get out the way. I like Bernardo, minus 250. Where is she sitting at right now? Minus 250. I do like her at that price tag, not as a straight up bet, but as a parlay piece. All right, so let's talk first about Talita. So Talita is from Brazil, as we mentioned before. She went 1-0 as an amateur before turning pro in 2015. She signed to UFC 2017. Yes, she is a former UFC level fighter. So from 2017, 2019, she was in UFC two years. She went 1-3, unfortunately, before getting cut. Her only UFC win was against Sarah Moras. Now, if you know Sarah Moras hasn't had the best career herself, Canadian fighter. She's six and seven overall and two and six in the UFC. Her last fight was in the UFC last year. Not sure if she's still there. Her last opponent was against Lucy Pudilla. That was 2021 last year. Decision win. And in that fight, you had Talita squaring off against Pudilla, who is an okay fighter. 13 and seven overall, tough Russian fighter. The fight starts out, you could tell right away Talita wants to get the fight to the ground. And she does. And she keeps it on the ground for all three rounds to win a 30-27 matchup. On the feet, Talita is not very effective. She looks uncomfortable. Doesn't have great boxing or striking being from brazil you could tell she wants to use her submission ability her grappling ability keep top control which she's very good at and she does that for all three rounds and looking at lucia padilla keep in mind she's also a former ufc fighter she had a run in the ufc and she went two and five in the ufc not an amazing record but still has two ufc wins so it's a quality win there for talita in her last matchup her prior fight talita went up against viviana arajo 2019 that was her last ufc fight she lost by a round three tko against arajo Arajo's pretty legit. Arajo's 5-2 in the UFC. Again, not a bad opponent. Now, the things I like about Talita, number one, she's got very good grappling skills. She brings them to the table right away. She takes the fight to the ground where she knows she's good at, and she's able to keep top control. She's also fucking competition. She's fought UFC-level fighters, and she does have a win herself in the UFC, so you do like that. Now, what are my critiques of her game? What's my concerns for her? Number one, not the best finisher. She has one career finish, and that was back 2017 via submission. She's also not been very active. I talked about this before. She fought one time last year, did not fight at all, 2020 granted the COVID situation and then she fought one time in 2019 so only two fights in the last like three years she's a bit one-dimensional as well if you want to be critical of her game she's good at grappling good at wrestling but not the best on the feet if she's forced to fight for a large part of three rounds on the feet against a good striker that would be like her kryptonite and my last concern for Talita, she has been finished twice in her four losses. So you kind of wonder about durability. Granted, against good opponents, and it hasn't been recent. But the bottom line is, she has been finished twice in her career. Now, as for Yana Gadella, the other Brazilian fighter, no amateur record, went pro 2019, only three years ago. She fought in Shudo Brazil and Jungle Fight prior to the Invicta. This will be her Invicta debut. Her last fight was against Kelly Otani. That link's down below if you want to watch that fight. Kelly Otani has like a shaved head. It's not the most attractive of females if you're looking for about between two 
attractive women. You're not going to get it in that fight. Nonetheless, Kelly Otani gets a submission win over our girl, Gaudella. So she's coming off of a loss. Not a great situation, especially in a regional fight, not even a top-level promotion. And she got submitted in round two. Up to that point, you see why she gets submitted. She's aggressive. She comes forward. You like the fact that she's aggressive, brings the fight to Otani, and takes down Otani with a nice double leg takedown. Shows a lot of strength. Kelly Otani is a very thick, heavier-looking set opponent, so that was impressive. But from there, she kind of wears herself down with trying to get Kelly Otani down. She makes a lot of mistakes in the grappling exchanges, and eventually she gets guillotine choked because she exposes her neck and makes mistakes. If she does that in this fight against Bernardo, it's going to be a recipe for a quick exit because Bernardo, even though she doesn't have a lot of finishes, only one finish in her career, her submission ability is there. She will chase submissions, and she will be looking to be on top on the ground for long periods of time. If Yana makes some mistakes and exposes her neck, she'll get submitted again. So in that fight, you kind of see what her issues are. Her grappling wrestling skills... They need to be refined. She's aggressive, yes, she comes forward, but ends up losing the fight. Now, keep in mind, Kelly Otani only went pro last year, like two years been a pro, and she's 4-0. So it wasn't the best of opponents, and she got submitted there in round two. Now, looking at her strength, what does she do well? I do like that she brings forward pressure. I do like that she can get some takedowns. The double leg takedown was good wrestling technique. I do like all that. The concern is, once she's down there, what is she doing? Matter of fact, she got separated twice in her last fight. Like separated meaning the referee came over and disengaged him and stood him up while she was in top position. Gets the fight down there, but from there doesn't have a good submission game and also makes a lot of mistakes where she can expose herself. Her last three wins have all been opponents that have under 500 records. If you don't believe me, look at her tapology. It's like an 8-9 opponent, a 1-2 opponent, and another like 1-2 opponent. So her last three wins have all been sub-500 level fighters. And that brings me to my last concern, her strength of schedule, much weaker than her opponent. You don't see names on her strength of schedule that'll be like former UFC fighters or Bellator. It's kind of regional people. And even within that, she's losing some of those fights and she's coming into this fight right now off of a loss. We watched two fights that bring down this film. We watched Di Oliveira, a.k.a. Bernardo, versus Pudilova, which was last year, her last fight. And we watched Galdella versus Otani from earlier this year, and that was also her last fight. My final few thoughts on these two fighters. Experience-wise, I give the edge for Oliveira, hash Bernardo, for what we talked about. Had a run in the UFC, fought some better competition than Yana, and so she has an experience advantage. Also goes into having a better strength of schedule. When it comes to cardio... I think Oliveira has got the better cardio, hashtag Bernardo, I apologize, he's got two names, a little better than Yana. In Yana's last fight, she definitely got tired of doing some over-wrestling and kind of fatigued herself. So when it comes to cardio, I do think Bernardo has an advantage in that department. As for finishing, neither fighter has much finishing ability, and both of them have been pretty durable. Last but not least, the grappling department. Who's the better grappler? I do like Adela's offensive wrestling game. I do like that. I don't love the on-the-ground stuff. When it comes to on the floor, at that point, D'Alavera, Bernardo will have the advantage in that department. That's my breakdown, boys and girls. I do like Bernardo at minus 250. I think it's a little bit chalky, but a parlay piece for sure. I have high confidence in her. As for Yannick Aldella, coming to this fight off of a loss where she got submitted and finished, I'm not surprised if she gets submitted and finished again by another very good Brazilian fighter. I'm all over Bernardo here. I'd like her to win the fight. I'll definitely be parlaying her. Good luck with this fight, guys. The main event for Invicta FC 48 is going to be a Bantamweight Championship fight between Tanisha Tennant and Olga Rubin. Tennant is the current title holder. This will be the first time she's defending her belt. She picked up that belt back in August of last year. We'll go over more of her background and her profile and talk about her path to winning that belt. In any event, she is the current champion. She's defending the belt against Olga Rubin. Rubin goes by Big Bat. She's 7-2 overall, 3-2 in her last five fights. An underdog here, approximately around plus 260 to plus 270. It's been moving quite a bit. We'll talk more about the money line. She's now based out of London, England, but she flies the Israeli flag, and she was born in Moscow, Russia. Yeah, go figure. We'll talk more about her profile and her background 
when we get there. She's 32 years old, 11 months, so about to be 33, 5'9", and high with a 69-inch reach, and she's out of Great Britain top team. As for Tanisha Tennant, who goes by the triple threat, 4-1 overall. She's currently a big favorite here at minus 330 to minus 350 in the books. She's based out of New York, 33 years old, 5'7", high with a 72-inch reach. So notably, she's about 2 inches shorter than Olga Rubin, but she has about a 3-inch reach advantage. And she's based out of Budokan Martial Arts Academy, which is in the city of New York. Looking at the numbers on Tapology, it appears that Tennant is the big favorite, getting 81% of the votes, only 19% of the votes coming in for Rubin. I do concur with that uh, assessment from the public. I do like Tennant to win. And if you look back some of the recent fights, I think you'll have even more confidence in Tennant winning the fight. I think Rubin is a good overall athlete, pretty good chin. If you saw her fight against Kavanaugh years ago, she displayed a hell of a chin in that fight. So she's not easy to get rid of. Her cardio, a uh, little suspect. We'll talk more about that. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, let's talk first here about Tanisha Tennant. She was born in New York City. She has a 3-0 amateur career. She went professional in 2019. As a little side story, a little background on Tanisha Tennant, a few years back, she was in nursing school, obviously studying to be a nurse, and she was diagnosed with cancer. So for two years, she was going to nursing school, undergoing chemotherapy and cancer radiation treatment. Obviously, she's recovered from that, but a hell of a story. It's a testament to the spirit and the fight within her. So someone who's beaten cancer has faced the fear of death, basically, right? Being diagnosed with cancer has bounced back from that. And now she is a nurse. She actually is a full-time nurse and oversees a large portion of a elderly community where she's like the head nurse of that group. Very accomplished young lady. As we mentioned before, she picked up her Invicta belt last year. That was in August against Verzosa, a fight that she dominated. She knocked down Verzosa in round one. Surprised she couldn't finish her, but an overall domination. That was a vacant belt left by Julia Storylenko, a name you might recognize. Storylenko's currently in the UFC, and she just fought recently, picked up a win by round one submission. Now, the Invicta FC brand, you don't know much about it. I'm going to give you a little history lesson on Invicta FC. So Invicta FC started in 2012. It's not very old, only about 10 years old. The first belt holder in the bantamweight division for this division we're talking about was Lauren Murphy. Other belt holders you'll recognize are Yana Kunitskaya, who left the belt for the UFC, Tanya Evinger, who also left the belt for the UFC, Sarah Kaufman, who left the belt to move on to the PFL, and then Julia Starlenko, who we just talked about, who left the belt most recently to the UFC. And she was the former title holder before Tanisha Tennant. So she was the one who vacated the title, became open last August, and of course, Tanisha Tennant won that title. Now, her most recent opponents, we talked about her fight against Lisa Verzosa. That was just last year. She dominated the fight. She came in as a slight favorite at minus 165. Looking back on that, you kind of wish you knew ahead of time how dominating she would be because that was a nice money spot. So now prior to that, Tennant fought Danielle Wolf. Now that fight was in 2020 on Dana White Contender Series. I really encourage you to watch that fight. It's of my humble opinion that Tennant got robbed and I thought she won the fight. In round one, she does get picked apart a few times. You see Danielle Wolf. And if you don't know, Danielle Wolf has an amazing boxing background, like three-time national champion boxer, Golden Gloves winner, has like 40 some odd boxing matches. So she does have good hands. And it was Daniel Wolf's MMA debut. So a lot was going on there. And you can see Daniel Wolf is marketable, kind of a pretty lady. Now, Wolf, mind you, is making her UFC debut against Norma Dumont coming up this September. And that was two fights ago where Tennant lost that fight by decision. But back to that fight. Round one, Tennant drops round one. Round two, Tennant clearly wins round one. She's winning the entire round. The last 30 seconds, she jumps on top of Wolf, landing a ton of shots, backing Wolf up, kind of stuns her. So round two clearly goes to Tennant. In round three, it's a close round. There's an eye poke at some point, a little bit of a break. They get back to the fight. The round ends, a close round, mind you, with Tennant on top of Wolf, landing some decent strikes where Wolf's on her back for a lengthy period of time. I thought clearly it was enough for Tennant to win. The announcers, Biz Bang and those guys, were kind of hinting that it was a fight that could, could have gone either way, but they saw that Tennant landed on finished on top. They liked her in the third round. Nonetheless, she loses. I'm just putting it out there because that's, that's only a loss. Her only loss is against a fighter who's currently in the UFC and a fight on contender series where she might have won. So just putting in perspective. Another prior fight of hers, Taylor Guardado, 
who's currently fighting in the PFL. She won against her by decision, also back in Invicta. That was 2020, about two years ago. Those are names we recognize. Daniel Wolf, Taylor Guardado. She's fought some decent opponents. Now, what's to like about Tanisha Tennant? How she fights? What are her strong suits? She's a very natural striker. Very long arms, fluid strikes. She works behind a very consistent jab. She's also very disciplined about keeping her guard up. You could tell she spent a lot of time boxing. Her punches come out and they come right, and her hands are right back up to defend herself. She does a great job using her footwork to move in and out of range. She's also very durable, has never been finished before. Her kicking game is very unique in that it's mostly lower body centric. Some straight kicks to the body, side kicks to the body, but then inside kicks, calf kicks, that kick where people like do that side shuffle kick with the bottom of their foot. She uses her lower leg kicking game as a way to measure distance, annoy her opponent, and keep her opponent off balance. I mean, she even throws some oblique kicks. If you watch the fight against Wolf, her leg kicking game is dynamic, it's effective, it keeps her opponent off balance, and I expect she'll use that early and often in this fight. She also could fight into both stances. There are some fights of hers where she'll fight in a traditional stance for a long period of time. Against Wolf, for example, she went left-handed southpaw stance almost the entire time. So she's very comfortable fighting at either stance. My only concern for 10 in this matchup is the judges. That's my only concern. It's going to be a five-round fight. It's open scoring, which means we'll know who won each round after each round. I do like that. I do like that format. But that's my only concern. She should beat Olga Rubin every way, shape, shape or form. Now, Olga Rubin's not easy to get rid of. So I could see the fight going to a long, drawn-out fight where it goes to decision. Tennant could not finish some of her prior opponents, and her last fight was an example of that. I'm not questioning her punching power. I'm just saying Olga Rubin has shown to have a pretty good chin before. This fight could go the full distance. At that point, you're just kind of like, you know, if it's a close fight. Let's say it's 2-2 going into round five. At that point, the only person who could beat Tanisha Tennant in this fight would be the judges. Tanisha Tennant should win this fight. When it comes to grappling, Tanisha Tennant's not amazing there. When she did fight against Wolf, she got several body locks, but couldn't actually turn them into takedowns. So if it becomes a grappling bout on the ground, I do give maybe a small edge there to Olga Rubin. She has a little more ground experience, does a good job of tying up her opponents, looking for submissions. But Tennant's very athletic. She should do a good job of keeping the fight on the feet. Now, looking at Olga Rubin, let's talk about her for a second. We mentioned before she fights out of London, but she flies the Israeli flag, and she was born in Moscow, Russia. She fights out of a southpaw stance. She was a former title challenger in Bellator. Her prior opponent was Priscilla de Souza. That was last year. She won by split decision. And quite frankly, I thought she lost the fight. If you watch that fight, she gets taken down in every single round, multiple times in one of the rounds. A lot of control time she gives up. Now, is the fight close? Yes. On the feet, she's the better striker. But man, she had nine inches in height advantage. She was the much taller fighter. Souza, for lack of better words, or at least this Souza, Priscilla de Souza, she doesn't have the most attractive physique. She's kind of built like Humpty Dumpty. And if you just looked at them before they fought, you would think that she would dominate Souza. She didn't dominate her. Olga looked slower. She slowed down from prior fights, didn't look impressive. Cardio became an issue. And ultimately, I thought she lost the fight. Her prior fight, Sinead Cavanaugh, 2019, round two KO loss. She got worn down. It was a rough back and forth fight. She did land some good shots. Sinead Cavanaugh, pretty tough fighter overall was able to outduel her, and eventually cardio became an issue, which is going to be a reoccurring theme we'll talk about here with Olga, but her cardio was not great in that fight. She loses by a standing round two TKO. On the flip side, you could say, well, she showed a good chin, didn't go down, very good heart. True, all those things are true, but cardio was a factor, and she lost the fight by standing TKO. One more fight to talk about. Julia Budd, another name you might recognize. It's 2019 round one KO loss. In this fight in particular, I feel like she was a better fighter back then. If you go back and watch this film, she looked quicker, faster. She just looked better. And in my opinion, since then, has taken a little bit of a dip. She's not as quick as she used to be. Maybe she's not as hungry as she used to be. But at this point in her career, 2019, I thought she was at her pinnacle. She unfortunately gets kicked in the stomach. And you see right away, it's like a knock-your-air-out type of shot. She reaches for her belly, kind of like heels over. Then Julia Bug comes and gets the finish. It's unfortunate because up to that point, she looked pretty good. 
Now, what's the like about Olga Rubin? When she is fresh and fighting well, she's very light in her feet, has a very good jab, and is a good striker overall. Not like a wild striker, doesn't dip her head. Good straight strikes, has obviously honed in her boxing skills. She's also in very good looking shape, and I want to emphasize good looking shape. Good build, very good physique, doesn't seem to miss many of her squatting days or her strength training days. On the flip side, she has kind of that Adolfo Vieira syndrome where she is in good looking shape, but the cardio is not there. So you just wonder, is that a physique issue? Is that a training issue? Because her cardio has not been there for her recently. The last thing I like about Olga Rubin, she's fought good competition. Both ladies here have limited fighting experience, but they have shared the octagon with Bellator-level fighters, PFL-level fighters, or in the case of Tenet fighting against now a UFC-level fighter. So I do like the fact that she's fought some good opponents. Now, my concerns for Olga Rubin, the things I do not like about her game, the things that concern me, she's faced two good opponents in her career, and both times she got finished. It's not like she made it the full distance. She also looked very unimpressive in her last fight against Priscilla Souza. We talked about it. That fighter looked like she didn't belong in the same octagon as Olga Rubin, yet it comes out to be a greasy decision one that I think maybe she lost. She could not stop the takedowns, showed poor fighter IQ, and again, cardio was a factor. Now, the fights we watched, every now in this film, we watched Tenet versus Verzosa from the last year, Tenet versus Wolf from 2020, Ruben versus Souza from last year, Ruben versus Julia Budd from 2019, and Ruben versus Kavanaugh from 2019. If you want to watch any one of those five fights as part of our free video library, just look down here below on YouTube. You'll see those five links available. Just a few more thoughts in this fight. My final thoughts. As for experience, these guys line up about the same. You got five total fights for Tanisha Tennant, nine total fights for Olga Rubin. They've both fought about the similar strength of schedule. As for cardio, I've talked about it already. I think Tanisha Tennant has the better cardio. I'm a little I'm a little concerned about how Olga Rubin looks into round two, into round three. For finishing ability, neither fighter has shown good at finishing ability. Whatever finishes they had were a while ago. In the case of Tanisha Tennant, she's not had a finish yet in her pro career. She had one as an amateur or maybe two as an amateur. For Olga Rubin, she does have a finish via ground and pound, but again, very low level opponents. Hasn't had a finish recently. So when it comes to finishing, I do think both fighters make it the full distance. And if anything, if Tennant does finish Rubin, I think it's more because of exhaustion and Rubin's just not fighting back. When it comes to durability, Tennant's got the edge there. She's never been finished and Olga Rubin has been finished twice what, in her last three or four fights. And lastly, who's the better grappler? I think Olga's the better submission artist, the better BJJ practitioner. You saw that against Souza where she was on her back for a long period of time, but did kind of look for some submissions, did a good job using her legs, very flexible. For Tennant, she doesn't have the strength to bring down her opponent a lot of times. She's very long, so her grappling skills are limited. On the ground, she looked okay against Wolf. I think I'm giving a small edge to Rubin on the grappling. I just don't think it's going to be much of a factor because I believe most of the fight will be on the feet. For Rubin, if she can get down Tennant early, that'll help her, but then round two, round three come around, I believe Carter becomes a factor. It sort of neutralizes her ability to get the fight to the ground. For Tennant, I think she wants the entire fight to be on the feet. The money line currently has Tennant at minus 350 and Olga Rubin at plus 260. If you like Olga, hold on. The money line's going to keep moving. I imagine by the time the fight kicks off tomorrow, Tennant's going to be like a minus 500 spot. She is the much better fighter. She's available for a parlay piece. For the people playing Bellator this weekend or for playing UFC or Cage Warriors, any of those fights, parlay this with some of the stuff this weekend. Tennant's going to win this fight. The only way she loses is by like a fluke knockout by Rubin or some kind of weird judge's decision. I will be parlaying Tennant. And if you're looking for my betting details in this fight, track our betting profile on Tips. We have all of our betting information. As a straight up bet, I don't have 350 bucks to throw out the window. So I'm not going to put 350 up on Tennant to win the fight because shit happens. And I'm going to lose my money because of some crazy judge or because of a freak injury. So from that standpoint, not betting any straight up guys, but I definitely be parlaying Tanisha Tennant with a lot of confidence. And I encourage you to do the same. And that's your breakdown, boys and girls, for the main event of Invicta FC 48.
Okay, boys and girls, this brings us to the end of the show. I want to go over a review of our picks to win and also give you some parlay ideas. Starting from the top, we like Tanisha Tennant to win in the main event. In the co-main event, we like Talita de Oliveira Bernardo. Moving on down, we like Christina Williams. Our first dog we like is Isis Verbeck at plus 130 to beat Melissa Parker. The second fight in the card, we like Amber Liebrock to beat Morgan Fryer. And then the first fight in the card, Maria Dujic. We like her as a dog or pass. A lot of question marks in that fight. Autumn Norton has not fought in about three years. At plus 200, we're going to just take a sprinkle of maybe a half a unit a quarter unit just to have some fun with it now the pieces we like enough to parlay the main event tanisha tenet the co-main event with talita delivier bernardo and then moving on down to amber Liebrock. we like those pieces a lot we're going to parlay them together that's minus 275 minus 250 and minus 350 for the main event i'm also going to parlay them with some of the action this weekend with ufc and bellator if you want to track our bets as usual just check us out on bet tips but those are the pieces that we like again a lot we like tenet bernardo and Liebrock. good luck with this card guys let me know how you guys do give me some comments suggestion again tomorrow night invicta fc 48 during the week wednesday the 20th of july 9 p.m Eastern start time in denver colorado live scoring gotta love it love me some women's mma see you guys soon